The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Money Movers. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Sarah Eisen, live at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Today, investors add to some Netflix gains as the company continues to add subs, crack down on password sharing. Talk about the read-through for what those results tell us about the rest of big tech, including Microsoft and Adobe. Then, while Netflix doesn't want you to share, Etsy is hoping you're feeling generous, launching a new AI gifting platform and announcing its first ever Super Bowl ad, an exclusive with the CEO this hour. Rock solid quarter out of Freeport today, surging as copper prices get to a three-week high. CEO is going to join us on the back of results and talk about what a slowdown in China might mean for commodities. Right now, though, in the market, steady push higher continues. The S&P up six-tenths of a percent. It's a little improvement just in the last hour or so. It is being led by tech, as has been the theme lately. Today, it's communication services. That sector actually reaching a two-year high, thanks largely to Netflix, which is obviously a big winner and a big component. But information technology, second-best performing group right now, that's been consistent. Financials are having a good day. Energy, consumer discretionary, and industrial. So cyclical is doing well. NASDAQ comp up 1%. NASDAQ 100, thanks to Netflix, up 1.2%. And yields are backing off a little bit, perhaps little helpful after we've seen a little bit of a creep higher in recent days. Topping the tape for us today, investors, are they getting ahead of themselves? Despite some strong headline numbers, softer guidance has showed up in nearly every sector, from defense to industrials, semis, healthcare. Is this a sign that the pullback could be coming? Let's bring in CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli. What are you getting from the guidance, Mike? Yeah, Sarah, it definitely seems as if there's some softness or some conservatism in a lot of the guidance. Uh, that being said, a lot of times earnings season is more to be survived than to be celebrated. Uh, we're going to probably track toward a decent beat rate in aggregate. Uh, it seems as if the market is willing to lean on this macro cushion that we built up. By that, I mean you've had months and months of accumulating evidence of inflation's going the right way. Uh, the growth seems more resilient than we thought. We just got the, you know, the, the S&P, the PMI numbers that look pretty good uh, in here. So you're in a bit of a sweet spot. The market's taking advantage of that. I think much more about the internal market dynamics are interesting, which is playing by bull market rules. That means you respect the breakout to new highs. The dips aren't always as deep as you'd like to buy. Uh, and you have to sort of defer to the, to the upside trend. That being said, you know, Netflix's great quarter should have almost no read through to any other company. It's just completely its own thing. It shouldn't mean that, you know, Meta's up 2% and Microsoft's up a percent and a half. It's more about the theme of digital dominance in a category has people uh, happy again, has people excited again. So, yeah, we might be building toward a moment where, you know, we get toward S&P 5000. Uh, the market's going to start to look rich based on even good optimistic earnings estimates. And you have to figure out, you know, whether we've, uh, I guess, over-embraced the soft landing thesis. But for now, I'm not seeing a whole lot to worry about. I'm watching the home builders and watching the semis outside of NVIDIA, AMD and, and Broadcom to see if we're getting a little bit of fatigue in those leadership groups. Jim, uh, 
Mike, we always talk about sideline cash with yeah. you. Uh, two weeks of outflows now uh, for equities. That's certainly ratifying your view that this money does not automatically bleed to stocks. Yeah, we don't always get to witness the actual dollars that come in and out. And, and I think that to focus too much on the flows or the store of the aggregate amount of cash out there, it, it kind of misses the point. In the shorter term, it's about you know, willingness to let stocks go up and not sell them. And it's about, you know, faster money ca getting catalyzed uh, in the, uh, you know, in these tactical ways. And, and I think that, that you can just sort of watch the, watch the tape and see what's happening and see how stocks are reacting to earnings and, and all the rest of it and say, we're probably in an okay spot right here, but maybe going to get stretched before too long if we continue. So what's the, bit, what, what's the potential surprise? Is it that higher inflation because some of the numbers we got the flash services PMI we're yeah. flashing it acceleration on that front and that was something that was expected to be weak given all the regional manufacturing yeah I mean I try to be very um, willing to acknowledge how fast that the macro picture can change we look back to a year ago remember everyone was shocked at how strong the economy was and we started talking about the Fed's gonna have to take rates six percent and then we had a, a really kind of exuberant peak in the stock market on February 2nd of last year so yes things can change quickly and it probably would be a little bit more on the too hot side than the, the too cool side but the Fed I think you know is, is giving the market a little more slack to, to, to let things settle out here and not necessarily feel as if they need to restrain the economy. If, if inflation numbers move the right way, they're not going to try to solve for other factors. That's going to be the main thing. Well, Morgan Stanley just trimmed some PCE numbers on some lower yep. rent data, so we'll watch that uh, for Friday. Uh, Mike, we'll talk in a little bit. Mike Santoli. Uh, with markets at all-time high, should investors stay with the winners, or is it time to mix with your allocations? Our next guest says it's time to find some value, recommends investors reallocate into short-term bonds and some alternatives. Joining us at Post 9, Bernstein Private Wealth CIO Alex Chaloff is back. It's great to see you, Alex. Thanks for coming in. I'm fascinated by how people should start to think about cash differently you think it's time it is it is i mean i think of it as uh when you're in a relationship may to december and it's time to break up we're breaking up with cash and and there's a lot of more productive asset classes that can generate a better return on a go-forward basis than cash has cash has been great over the last couple of years but it's it, the time is over and the point is not to wait for the fed to move yeah, I think if you look at history, six months in advance of a Fed move is actually when you're, you do best from a go-forward basis in equities and fixed income. Um, we're not suggesting that investors should radically change their risk profile, but if you have cash because you've been waiting for an entry point to invest into an asset class, now's the time. Which is, which is the best place to put it? Well, I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If you still have a near-term need for the cash, I think you want to look at short. Uh, short bonds, short fixed income instruments, a year, 18 months, you can even pick up more than what you're getting in cash, and you have the added advantage of benefiting when cash drops. We are at uh, a, a high, in our view, of where cash will be paying, and you're only signing up for future degradation of returns from here. Um, so if you have a, a medium time, uh, uh, time frame, I would look to intermediate. If you have a longer term horizon, I know equities are rich. You, you, uh, we can't argue with the premium valuations, but there's two things going on in equities. There's premium valuations for seven, and then there's 493 that aren't at premium valuations. And there's some value in the 493. Even with the guidance that we just talked about from DuPont and AT&T and GE and whatever else. I think you have to be selective in the 493, but there is value. Not suggesting run away from the magnificent seven. Can't, you know, people say don't fight the Fed. I think you don't fight the mag seven at this point. 
momentum is very powerful. But there's other places where you can find good value, good earnings growth, and you're getting a discount to where these stocks traded over the last couple of years. What if you think there's going to be a recession? Well, I think there's things you can do to benefit from a recession. The first thing I'd point to is fixed income and moving out a little bit further into duration. If you think about what a recession will uh, have as an effect and how it will play out, you're going to see a drop in interest rates as the Fed steps in to support the economy. And boom, that's a terrific environment for bonds. I think in equities, you can play defensive today. I, I think you want to be careful about quality. Everyone's saying quality this and quality that. I think that trade might be a little bit overextended, but there still are areas that could be recession-proof. And they, again, they're cheap. But you don't think that's, just to be clear, that's not your base case? You're no, not our base case that. is a soft landing. We, we've been saying since last summer, we're going to get through this. It's going to feel painful. It's not going to feel, it won't be consistent. It won't be a straight line, but we're going to get through this and have a soft landing. I'm curious in, the, in your asset recommendations to clients, whether you've incorporated Bitcoin in, because now it's so easy to buy via ETF. It is easy to buy. Uh, we wrote a white paper uh, about 18 months ago and really ticked the top at 60,000 odd. Um, and our view was there's really no economic value that Bitcoin adds to the greater economy. The, the economy functions if Bitcoin's at 200,000, at 20,000, at $2. So it's a different decision than, than I think makes sense in the scope of other asset classes where you can have a more uh, uh, systematic valuation framework. To your point about the broader market and the 493, uh, the bulls keep coming on and arguing about productivity enhancements and AI and uh, the notion that margins may have bottomed here. Are you that constructive or? I think you can find good opportunities in the 493. I'm not saying on a blanket statement, buy everything, but there are names there that are benefiting from the trends that you just uh, uh, discussed and I think have um, a really clear line of sight into not just quarters, but years of earnings growth from here. There's a lot of companies out there that have terrific balance sheets, and that's great, but transparency in the income statement and where they go from here, that's even better. How about the requisite election risk, uh, geopolitical risk? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say it doesn't matter. So what's the right way to say it doesn't matter without saying it doesn't matter? We're, we're going to have whoever wins they're going to come into a situation with tremendous debt. That's not going to change regardless of who's elected. And we're going to have a deficit, and that's not going to change. Where we go from here depends more on the economy and the markets than an election. So any hopes of changes in corporate tax or anything? It's such an extended process that it's not, it doesn't change your, your portfolio management I calculus? Think if you saw what happened in the 17 Tax Cut and Jobs Act, you could copy and paste that for next time around. But a lot of that juice has been squeezed already. So I don't think you're going to get a second effect of, of having a, a, another redo there. That's interesting because 2016, it did matter a lot for the it market. Mattered. Stocks, bonds, the dollar. It mattered. But what I'm saying is you got paid forward. Much like I think investors got in the S&P got paid forward for what's going to happen this year, last year. Same thing with the corporate tax side. It's going to be an interesting uh, 12 months ahead. Yeah, I'd like to wake up in 12 months and just <laughs> yeah, get through it. Alex, thanks. Good to Thank see you. you. I think it's a hard question also to answer without knowing what the Congress makeup yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. Right? If, Republican, if, if a Republican wins all three, I mean, what the power of dynamic is. Anyway, World Bank President Ajay Banga hasn't granted many interviews since taking the top job after spending over a decade leading MasterCard as CEO and executive chairman. I did catch up with him at Davos to talk about this transition, his new job, the global economy, and his outlook for rates in 2024. 
The tools you have to change systems are different because you know, it's a different structure. And then of course there's the complexity of 189 countries as members and that creates its own pulls and pressures. Multilateralism is that what it's about, but you know, it's all good. So are you hoping that we do see a series of interest rate cuts globally to alleviate some of the pressure on those economies? No doubt interest rate cuts and also if currencies change, it helps them. But I'm not relying on macro to make this work. I think if you do get interest rate cuts, you're probably looking at in the second half of the year. And I don't think you're going to get as many as people seem to have already factored in to their thinking. I think it'll be later and slower. And he, he talks to a lot of governments and central banks now as the head of the World Bank, thinks the market's a little over exuberant on these rate cuts. Just a little teaser there. You can watch the full interview with the World Bank president, Ajay Banga, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC as part of our special leader series from Davos. I'm just thinking about uh, the institutional knowledge he has on money flow and consumer mm. mindsets and what can translate to, to the World Bank. That's yeah, pretty it's a pretty creative pick, I think, by the Treasury to put him in this role. I mean, a lot of, there was a lot of pressure outside to get someone who is more climate oriented, although I will say, and you can hear this from the discussion tonight, he's building that into basically everything he's doing at the World Bank. Uh, interesting. That's a good tease. Uh, still ahead, uh, the CEO of Etsy is with us as the company unveils new features for shoppers and announces its first ever Super Bowl ad. We'll get his take as well on the state of the consumer. Plus, we've got much more for you on Netflix. That stock jumping today after strong subscriber numbers and a revenue beat up more than 12 percent. We'll be right back. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. eBay, the latest tech company to announce job cuts, laying out plans to cut 9% of its workforce. It's about 1,000 employees. The CEO says the job cuts are necessary as the company's, quote, overall headcount and expenses have outpaced the growth of the business. Elsewhere in tech today, uh, SAP saying it's aiming to carry out voluntary buyouts or enable job changes for 8,000 employees as part of a restructuring. Uh, shares now up 50%. In the last year, that's a record high. Also raised their OperNet guide on some of that AI productivity push. But when you combine year of efficiency with pivot to AI, it's like that's the recipe, right, for the markets. Uh, clearly, investors liking it up 7%. Let's stay with the consumer. Etsy is trying to change the way you buy gifts, announcing a new AI-powered gift mode tool on the platform to help users find items based on occasions and their interests. They plan to market the new feature during this year's Super Bowl, their first ad during the big game. The stock has struggled. It's down about 50% over the past 12 months and more than 10% since the start of the year. Joining us now here at Post 9 and first on CNBC interview with Etsy CEO Josh Silverman. Great to see you, Josh. Welcome. Thanks for having me. 
So this is a big deal, and I know that because I was reading some of the analyst reports, and they said we're, we're anticipating this very big announcement yeah. from Etsy. Here it is. Explain what it is. Well, first of all, gifting is a really important high-stakes moment in people's lives, and it actually happens a lot. Birthdays, anniversaries, it's not just the holiday season. In fact, we estimate that the average American spends $1,600 per year on gifts. And what we hear over and over again is it's actually really high stress. In fact, two-thirds of men say they're good at gifting, but actually only one-third of women trust their male partner to buy them a good gift. So while men are nervous stat. about gifting, they should be, right? Finding the perfect gift that shows you know someone is really stressful. And also, what if it arrives late? Um, everything about buying for someone else we think is actually really different than buying for yourself. And there's no one brand out there that stands for gifting that can be your go-to over and over again. We think Etsy is incredibly well positioned to be that place you go to over and over again for all your gifting needs throughout the year. So how does this work? How does it do the job for you know those, those men that say they're great but are actually not? So gift mode leverages the power of AI and generative AI to help you find the absolutely perfect gift, but do it in a way that feels really easy for consumers. There's over 115 million things for sale on Etsy, so for sure we've got that perfect thing, but getting to the perfect thing from 115 million items can feel stressful. So at Etsy, we ask you a couple of questions about the person you're gifting for, and then we have a couple of hundred persona and we get you very quickly to two or three persona. For example, Sarah, I, I, I hear you're a foodie. <laughs> so there's a foodie persona. Like food. yeah. And if you go into the foodie persona, we've got some great gift ideas, like a, a ceramic olive oil dispenser that's gorgeous, that's made in Turkey, but actually really affordable. Or some uh, homemade pesto and tomato sauce uh, gift sets that can arrive uh, just in time, uh, made just for you. Um, so lots of different persona and then within each of those personas something that feels really personal and feels really special and then the gift giver can uh, send a gift page to the recipient that announces a gift is coming gives them a tracking status and even can do a reveal on what the gift is if you want so it builds excitement about the gift coming before the gift arrives how is this going to manifest itself in your marketing so we're going to talk about it all year long and then some because we really want people to understand that Etsy can make gifting easy and make you the gifting hero. So we will be launching at the Super Bowl uh, some great ads that really lean into that a great ad that really leans into actually the stress of finding the perfect gift and how Etsy can be the solution. But you're gonna hear surround sound. We're gonna be in social, we're gonna be on TV, we're gonna be in performance channels uh, talking about this. Because again, this is a great reason to be coming to Etsy again and again all year long. Well, what, how is it different than some of what competitors are going to be offering? Because you know, Walmart announced at CES, for instance, all sorts of new generative AI-fueled searches to get yep. you exactly what you need. Yeah, and so there's lots of Gen AI out there. What we're finding is when we've, we've launched some of our own Gen AI chatbots, and a lot of customers aren't yet comfortable interacting with a chatbot. They say, just get me back to the old chat. So it's not about tech for tech's sake. Where do you want to go to buy gifts that you think represent you? And this is an area where we think you want to buy something that feels really special, that feels really personal and expresses your understanding of that person. We think Etsy is a brand people really feel comfortable and can get behind. And also not just having a, a page of like top gifts for the year, but really recognizing that buying for someone else is really different than buying for yourself. You don't have as much knowledge of what that person might want. There's stress about will it arrive on time. You might need it wrapped. 
uh, you don't want your searches for someone else to rec to mess up your own recommendations for yourself. Like <laughs> Etsy needs to know that I'm buying for someone else, not for me. So my recommendations stay good just for me. Uh, and, and, and this is a platform we'll continue to invest in and build in. So it just keeps getting better and better. I mentioned the stock price, Josh. I mean, it's been a bumpy ride for you. You announced layoffs about a, a, a month ago. And very little growth, if any, since we came out of COVID yeah. when, when the business boomed. How much of, of this effort will help the company return to growth? Well, first, Etsy is about two and a half times bigger than we were before COVID. Two and a half times bigger. And the average customer on Etsy spends more today, 25% more than they did pre-COVID. And we're now one of the most popular shopping destinations in America based on the number of active users. Over 90 million active users shopping on Etsy in the last 12 months. So we think that we've um, really been able to hold on to essentially all of the gains we got during COVID, unlike so many that dropped back. And now the opportunity for Etsy is to keep growing on that much, much larger base. And people love Etsy. When you ask anyone you've heard of Etsy, they mostly say yes. If you say, what do you think of Etsy? Almost everyone says, I love Etsy. What they then say is, I just don't know when to think of Etsy. So gift mode is an opportunity to say, one of the things you should think about for Etsy is anytime you want to buy a gift for someone, Etsy should be the first place you think of. Uh, the bull are the argument on the consumer is employment 54, unemployment 54 year low, gas prices are low, real growth, real, real growth in incomes. Are you seeing trade up or down in terms of price point when it comes to overall consuming? Overall prices on Etsy have been, uh, as of our last earnings report, have been holding pretty stable. But we definitely are seeing a trade down economy. So we've seen growth in the high income significantly outpace growth in the low income. So low income, I think, are trading down. They're buying cheaper proteins. They're not buying branded products when they're in the supermarket. Um, and what we see again and again is they're feeling a lot of pressure that they don't have a lot of room in their budget to buy discretionary products. Higher income people may be trading down from Chanel bags or international trips to buying themselves a special treat on Etsy. So one of the things we've been doing over the past 12 months is really leaning into the value story on Etsy as well. You can buy something that's made just for you and it can be very affordable. But I don't know if you see them as direct competitors, but we've seen these new entrants and disruptors in the market like a Timu. Yeah and a Xi'an, and investors look at that and the explosive growth they're seeing right now in those kinds of e-commerce names and wondering if it's hurting a company like yours. You know, if I had to pick the polar opposite of Etsy, yeah. it would probably be Timu. Um, <laughs> and uh, look, there's room in the market for lots of people. It's a very big market, but the more really, really cheap products flood the market, there's always going to be time and space for that for many consumers, but the more they're going to want something different, something that feels special, something that expresses their sense of style, and something that connects them with buyers and supports small businesses. When you're giving a gift to someone else, for example, what do you think better represents your brand with people you care about? I think Etsy is is uniquely well positioned there. Sarah, Sarah mentioned the layoffs that you had already done. Are you satisfied with operating leverage at this point? Do you want in, that to inflect even higher? I think Etsy's at its fighting weight, and we are very agile, we're very nimble, um, and I think we're really well optimized to be able to innovate with bold things and do them quickly and do them well. Josh, certainly appreciate you coming here first to share the news and, and talk about the impact on the business. Thank you. We'll Thank look out for, for that me. ad. Thank Those you. ads. Josh Silverman, CEO of Etsy. Meantime, the Copper Miners ETF on pace for the best day since 
December 1 as copper hits these three-week highs. Freeport, one of the big gainers in that sector on the back of a strong earnings report. We'll talk to that CEO next. Plus, of course, we're watching Tesla ahead of earnings this afternoon. Three things to focus on tonight. Profit margins will be key after significant price cuts through 2023. Investors also looking for overall delivery goals for 2024. And then any details on Cybertruck production after Musk described demand for the pickup truck as being, quote, off the charts. The stock has started off with a rough start for 2024, down 15%, but off a big climb last year. We're back in a moment. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. European markets moving higher ahead of tomorrow's ECB rate decision. The German DAX leading the way up about a percent and a half right now, a little more than that, comes as Eurozone composite PMI. So manufacturing numbers rose last month, but came in shy of expectations and marked eight eight months of contraction. Some of the biggest gainers today include the China-exposed luxury firms and precious metals miners as the People's Bank of China, the central bank there, makes a big move to cut reserve rates. The central bank making a 50 basis point cut, biggest in two years, in order to free up roughly $140 billion in liquidity into the banking system. The bank's governor saying it would release policies on improving commercial property loans tonight or Thursday. Hong Kong and Shanghai markets, as well as the benchmark CSI 300, all rising on that news. So there's been a concerted effort here by Chinese authorities and now central bankers adding to that mix to try to prop up the markets and the economy. Question is, will it work? A lot of discussion about the wealth effect, negative in this case, um, the consumers over there, in addition to all the other employment and property issues that they've got. We, on the other hand, got above 4,900 for a moment. Let's get a news update with Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Carl. Good morning. Russia accused Ukraine of shooting down a military transport plane today, killing all 74 people on board, allegedly including 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war. The Kremlin says... The plane was on the way to a prisoner exchange at the border. Ukrainian officials cautioned against sharing unverified information, but did not offer details. NBC News has not independently verified who was on board the plane or what caused the crash. An official from the UN's aid agency said an attack on a shelter in Gaza killed nine people and injured 75 more today. The official says two tank rounds hit the building in Khan Yunus, that's Gaza's second largest city, where the Israeli army is currently ramping up operations. And British billionaire Joe Lewis entered a guilty plea this morning for insider trading. The plea is part of a deal that gives Lewis the ability to appeal if he is given prison time at his March sentencing. Federal prosecutors charged the 86-year-old Tottenham Hotspur's owner in July 2023 for passing tips about his portfolio companies to friends, romantic partners, and other Sarah. All right, Silvana, thank you. When we come back, beyond the numbers, we're going to look at what Netflix's quarter could be telling us about the rest of the tech sector as the first of the Magnificent Seven gets set to report tonight. And some new all-time highs to mention, NVIDIA, Meta, Berkshire, AMD, Visa, Microsoft today crossing the $3 trillion market cap. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. Netflix price hikes from at least uh, 19 different firms today catching our attention this morning. Stocks on pace for the best day since October. Our Julia Borston's been digging through all of this commentary and joins us this morning with more. Hey, Julia. Hey, Carlos. Right. I see the stock now of about 12 percent and we've counted 10 firms with a price target above $500. McQuarrie writing, what's not to like? Upgrading to buy as it sees Netflix's moves paying off. Pivotal Research raising its price to what looks like a street high of $700, saying this is what winning looks like. Jeffries with a buy upping its price target to the headline, do you smell what Netflix is cooking? And TD Cowan hiking its price target to $600 writing off the top rope, Netflix delivers. Now, Moffat Nathanson notes that now the media companies are helping Netflix out by licensing Netflix their content, but justifying its neutral rating on the stock with concern that, that the strong subscriber growth we saw this quarter from mature markets was actually a pull forward and not everyone was so bullish. Deutsche Bank downgrading to hold, saying it is still the best story in media, but upside is priced in. And Benchmark with a sell on the stock saying this is certain near the apex of the password sharing crackdown. So, Carl, a lot here going on, Sarah, in terms of this idea that the password sharing crackdown has worked, how much more is left to go, but no question that advertising is a huge opportunity. So now they're all they're all falling over themselves to up, to up their price targets. Julia, what did the analysts get wrong or underestimate when it came to the the jump in subscribers that Netflix reported. I think it's really the fact that they could add subscribers to the mature markets. I was very surprised to see how many more subscribers in the U.S. and Canada, obviously their first and most mature market, and as, and as well as in Europe, um, where the perception was that these were just more saturated markets, not as much room for upside, and that Netflix was going to be using the lower prices um, in some of these more emerging markets as a way to, to, to grow that total subnumber. But the reality is, is that the password sharing crackdown really enabled them to add meaningful numbers here in North America. The question is, how much of that is a pull forward? How much of this sure. type of growth is sustainable? We know the numbers will drop uh, in Q1, but they still will be ab above the numbers they were that they reported a year ago. Got it. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. So what could Netflix's quarter tell us about some of the tech earnings still to come? Deirdre Bosa here with today's Tech Check. And I was wondering how correlated Netflix is with some of the other Magnificent Seven. At least there's a sentiment, I guess. And that's what we're saying here is really a sentiment if we're looking at any kind of or reading the tea leaves. But the message from Netflix for the rest of tech, it is keep it simple. Organic growth story, accelerating revenue, industry leader, and high margin areas of growth. As B of A puts it, moving into logical areas like advertising, live entertainment, WWE rights, and video games. No far out other bets, B of A says. And I had to wonder, guys, if that was a dig at other mega caps like an alphabet, which literally has a division called other bets. We talked about it yesterday. It's burning through billions of dollars a year on these radical moonshots. That said, though, Google does seem to be getting the message. We've seen rounds and rounds of layoffs this year in an effort to really focus the business on its AI ambitions. So if it can streamline that message when it reports next week, that could bode well for the street and the company. A keep it simple story. Now, Meta is another mega cap with a straightforward thesis, leadership position in its category, 2024 growth expected in the mid to high teens, OPEX guide already behind it, AI open model strategy as well, starting to gain some steam. 
Amazon, on the other hand, a noisier name, low margin e-commerce business, which is facing increasing competition from the likes of Timu, while questions remain around that high margin cloud computing business and its AI proposition. So if Netflix tells us that Wall Street wants simple this quarter, that could be tougher for an Amazon to pull off. It's a little noisier. Apple and Microsoft, meanwhile, they have been the keep it simple story in tech for years. Huge recurring stable businesses that investors have poured into. Today, though, that's less clear for an Apple. Consensus for top-line growth this year is in the low single digits. For Microsoft, of course, it's all about how quickly AI monetization happens, its open AI integration, when that comes to fruition. And overall, though, guys, earnings are also a big expectations game, of course. Netflix had an easier bar to clear this quarter. Expectations have also come down for stocks like Microsoft, especially around Copilot, Adobe, GitLab. Um, They've come down in the last few weeks, and that could make for good setups in the coming weeks. On the other hand, got to mention NVIDIA. It certainly has that keep it simple story. Growing revenue, expanding margins, leader in its category. But monster expectations coming to basically every quarter now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, speaking of monster expectations, Microsoft D, $404 almost. We mentioned the $3 trillion market cap. It does feel like a lot of people, or a lot of attention at least, is going to zero in on co-pilot signups. And we get a, do we get a sense as to how many CIOs are going to pay for this? You know, totally. And I, 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 we have this debate, a tech check. Is Microsoft sort of low expectations? Can you even call it that when it surpassed Apple and market cap to become the biggest company in the world? Um, but it's just been sort of this huge winner in the AI, seen as the AI leader of the last year. But there has been some cold water thrown on Copilot, which is sort of its core proposition and questions around that open AI integration. So maybe you could call it like Microsoft's quarter to lose here. Um, Expectations are high on one hand for its AI proposition, but they've tempered down in terms of that AI monetization. And we've talked about this before. That's really what the street wants to see, not just talk actual numbers. Uh, Indeed, on what's uh, turning into a very nice day for the Nasdaq, up almost 1%, D. We'll talk in a bit. Uh, Deirdre Bosa, uh, the market does keep powering higher. S&P and Nasdaq shooting for five straight positive days. Of course, a lot of all-time highs in there. We're going to break down what's driving those gains when we come right back. A few hours into trading, and we've been steadily climbing higher again. Let's go post to post with Bob Pisani for a look at what's moving. Bob? Every day, new highs. S&P up 30 points again today, and this is because we're getting some of that Goldilocks. Inflation's falling. Growth is still strong. The AI story is still strong. The advance is notable, but it's still fairly narrow. There's some pockets of exceptions, though. These insurance companies, every day, Progressive had very good news today, generally. And if you want a simple idea of what's happening, generally they're gaining higher prices and, in some cases, lower losses. That combination is just magic. Travelers uh, talked about that, new high. Progressive's up here. Uh, Chubb's been moving. Allstate's been moving. Uh, what else? Oh, look, Hartford here has been moving another one. All of these insurance companies have been moving recently. There's a pocket of strength outside of technology. Another one, it astonishes me. Every, I'm waiting for the visas and the MasterCards to finally break. Every single day, these stocks have been going up for ages. Now, this is another historic high. It's up what, uh, 5% this month. Same with MasterCard, just also near historic high. Good sign for consumer spending, uh, uh, for sure. Uh, elsewhere, earnings are coming in 
Okay, there's a few misses out there, but Textron, big global industrials, you know, they do uh, Bell Helicopter, um, big aviation division. Uh, they guided higher. They had a, a jump in earnings. That's nice to see overall. But if I had to say what really is still powering thing, it's the whole AI story and uh, particularly big global software companies every day, ServiceNow, new high, every single day. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, I struggle to explain how much this has moved. This was 560 in the beginning of November. This is Bill McDermott's company. Obviously, he's on regularly. Now look at this $200 move uh, in two months here and another historic high, obviously. So, yes, we are pockets of strength, insurance, card companies. Still, though, big moves for the S&P 500, still largely tech communication services in the month of January. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob. We'll watch it with your help, uh, Bob Pisani. Still to come this morning, the CEO of Freeport, Mac Moran, on the latest quarter. Stock is rising today on a top and a bottom line beat as these copper and gold prices rise. We are back in just a moment. It's going to be a big couple of days for investors ahead. First read on Q4 GDP tomorrow. We'll get durables as well. New home sales at 10. And then, of course, on Friday, the headliner, PCE, all after Tesla earnings tonight. Uh, we've seen some trimming on uh, core PCE. I think uh, Goldman's at one nine, six-month annualized. And we didn't even mention uh, Bullard yesterday, even though you know we're relying on him now for some institutional insight. Arguing that Fed cuts could start in March was interesting. Yeah, saying that we don't need to see inflation rate go back down to 2%, the Fed target for the Fed to start cutting. I'm not sure it's anything that the market didn't already know or think, but obviously he has credibility since he was inside, what, until just a few months ago. Um, so we'll rely on it. He talked a lot when he was in the Fed and, and now out of the <laughs> yes, Fed yes. As, as well. By the way, latest estimate, Atlanta Fed for GDP, 2.4% for the quarter. Remember, they were right to be optimistic and positive last quarter. We'll see where we land tomorrow. Let's close out the hour with one of today's biggest earnings movers, Freeport McMoran, higher this morning after delivering a beat on the top and bottom lines in Q4. The mining giant reporting upbeat guidance as copper prices track for their best day since mid-December. More than 5% move right now. Joining us is Freeport McMoran CEO Richard Ackerson. It's good to have you, Richard. Feels like you got a, a double boost today on the back of the good numbers, especially on copper production, and then the, the good news out of China. How do you characterize the business right now? You know, these earnings days can be surprises one way or another. It's great to have some good news. We, we did have a good sound quarter in terms of operational performance. We had some significant positive events for our company, and then the Chinese action happened to take place on our earnings release, so that's all good. <laughs> what is the outlook for China and how it's going to affect your business at this point? So with copper prices, and we have a strategy that's really focused on being the global leader in copper, and we're very satisfied with that strategy, it's really been a micro versus micro situation. The micro factors for uh, copper have been strong. The uh, demand in 2023 was stronger in the U.S. and stronger in China than expected. Uh, there have been supply disruptions for a number of factors in major mines around the world. The market is very, very tight. Uh, there's still skepticism about China, driven principally by the property market. So when actions happen like today, it's a trigger that that might be moving uh, in, in, in a more positive direction. And so right now, if any of the macro factors come into play positively for copper, 
with the market being as tight, inventories being in low, it's a watch out situation for what might happen with copper prices. What, what about demand globally, Richard? What are you seeing outside of China and which markets are you most bullish on? Well, the U.S. has been very strong, you know, for the reasons you all talk about every day is uh, the U.S. has been strong. Uh, Europe manufacturing has been weak. Uh, there are some positive signs there. And then China was a surprise because the downturn in the property market was offset by investments in their grid, alternative energy, uh, some manu- aspects of manufacturing. So it was a it was a better year than expected in 2023. There's uncertainties in 2024. Ours is such a long-term business that we really focus on, on that rather than near-term movements, and we feel great about the long-term situation. Yeah, Richard, that, that long-term is interesting. I only ask that because Street's trying to get their arms around this argument about a deceleration in the growth of, say, electric vehicles and what that might mean for batteries, and what that might mean for the long-term view that there will be a shortage of copper uh, through the late 2020s. Has that done anything to change your view? Not really, because uh, from the outset of this, when we were looking at all the aspirations for carbon reduction and copper's a big beneficiary for those investments, uh, there's always been the issue of how do the aspirations match up with realities and we knew there's going to be ups and downs. The world has to do something about carbon emissions. And any of those investments are going to be positive for copper. The world is getting more and more electrified in a lot of respects, you know, with connectivity, global growth, AI data centers and the like. So it, there will be ups and downs. And clearly the uh, issue with EVs in the U.S. Are, uh, is, is a factor. But uh, China's been producing... You know, a big part of their growth in copper demand was EV production last year. And all of this is going to work out. However you cut it, uh, the price of copper today doesn't justify the kinds of investments and new supplies that the world is going to need. And that's going to be a fairly medium, short-term factor that's going to come into play. Right. Would you argue that the bias on CapEx remains to the upside? It should. Carl, but there are a lot of factors going against that. Some of them have to do with uh, uh, political issues in countries where copper is produced. 40% of copper comes from Chile and Peru that have had issues. There have been other geopolitical factors around the world. Uh, The price is low, uh, too low to justify some investments with uh, cost having risen with inflation and so forth. And so the industry sees this coming need for copper, and yet there are near-term macro factors that are holding it back. And it's, it's just kind of a built pressure cooker that's, that's, that's got to uh, result in higher prices uh, at some point in the future. And again, we don't predict prices. We manage our business and where we're situated. I wonder if you're also alluding to a potential copper shortage, Richard, if there's going to be you know, a problem that, I don't know, that could cause geopolitical issues between countries like the U.S. and China and whether we need some sort of policies or will need at some point to address it, thinking of Chips Act or oil and some of these other sort of tense resources that we're looking at a lot of demand and, and supply causing issues. 
Uh, no question, there will be that happening. The focus to date has been more on battery metals. And that's a much smaller market, uh, much different supply dynamics for many of those metals in copper, which is a you know, a sizable global business that has is, is just uh, in every part of the economy. Uh, what I'm urging our government to do is to address is to address mm. the uh, permitting issues. Right now, permits mm. are a barrier to anything, and the government needs to have yeah. more resources Richard. and more efficiency. We got to leave it there. It's a whole nother segment for another day. We'll talk about <laughs> copper permitting and, and the politics of it. Thank you, Richard Ackerson of Freeport MacMoran. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.